rejected by Jesus. One of the most interesting and kind of extended passages of teaching is found in John chapter 6, where he says the phrase, I am the bread of life. And this is, I mean, this is an in-depth teaching where Jesus reveals who he is, that he is this gift from God, that he is the one who gives eternal life. I mean, he literally couldn't lay it out any plainer than he does in John chapter 6 as to who he is and what his mission is. And yet, what we find in this section is that there is a crowd that simply won't hear the truth. I mean, Jesus couldn't be any more plain about it. He tells them who he is. He, he gives them every chance to believe, but even he acknowledges, you don't believe me. And we find by the end of this discussion, Jesus makes the truth so unpalatable that this crowd abandons him. People who considered themselves his disciples, and, and John even says many who were his disciples left and walked away and no longer followed him. And you know what I find remarkable about that is Jesus just lets them. He doesn't beg them to stay. He doesn't reword it and say, you know what, it just, just hang in there because later it's, it's going to make sense. He intentionally makes the truth so unpalatable that those who do not have faith walk away from him. And so in a sense, the crowd, the masses were rejected by Jesus. And so we will have a much larger section of scripture that we're going to look at today. Uh, there's no way around this. Uh, I, I tried, I kept looking, I kept reworking, trying to like, well, I'm like, I can't leave this stuff out. It's too, too integral to the entire discussion. So we're not going to read it all at once, so you're welcome there. Um, but we are going to, to cover uh, pretty much all of chapter 6, which is long. And so we're going to start out looking in verse 22 through 27 because Jesus really lays the foundation for us here. Now, to set the scene, Jesus has just fed the 5,000, okay? The day before... 5,000, which means there's probably 10,000 people out there at least because you just count the men in this and it was 5,000 men, women, children that might be there. So we, we've got a massive crowd of people. You know, you couldn't just order takeout for 10,000 people back then. And they've been out there all day. They're hungry and Jesus, you know, food just starts showing up. So I don't care who you are, you know something miraculous just happened. This is an impromptu sermon that happened. People are being taught. There was no planning in this. They know something amazing has just happened. Then that night, Jesus walks on water because he wants to get away from the crowd because the crowd wants to make him king. And he's like, okay, I'm out. Uh, not here for political reasons. And, and so he sends the disciples out onto the, the, the lake. And then he walks on water to come to them. And then the next day, the crowd is like, okay, we saw the disciples leave. We know Jesus didn't get on the boat with them, and there's still boats here. How did he get over here? And so they go to the other side of the lake, too, looking for Jesus. All of that to set up is that people went and, and heard the sermon before where he fed the 5,000 because they had heard and seen the miracles he was committing. So the, the earth is kind of ripe here. Everything is ready for something to happen. 
Okay, their interest has been piqued. They've heard about, they've even seen miracles. They've been a part of a miracle at this point. And now they know something else weird has happened because Jesus didn't go out on the boat and yet he's on the other side. How did he get there? So there are lots of unanswered questions by the time you get to this point. And now this crowd, this massive group of people is going to the other side of the, the sea here to confront him. And there's a reason for that. Now, that picks us up. It says, on the next day... The crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum. So we're back to Capernaum now. Seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered, and this is important, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. So Jesus right out of the gate says, yeah, y'all aren't here for any good reason right now. Wow. He says, you're not here because you saw the miracles. You're not here because of the healings. You're not here out of a step of faith. Why are you here? Because you got a free meal and you're wanting another one. You see, it says previously when he fed the 5,000, it says everybody, and this is a massive crowd, ate until they had their fill. And in that day and age, to eat until you couldn't eat anymore was rare. Okay? You just didn't have what we have today as far as the abundance of food. And, And so they're like, hey, if this is a source of food, I'm ready. I'm in. And they're hoping for another free meal. And they're literally willing to go across the sea. They're willing to to search him out and, and to bug him literally so they can get more. And Jesus tells them, I know that's why you're here. And he tells them immediately, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. You see, what he's teaching us right here is that motives are meaningful. Why we come to Jesus matters. If we are coming to Jesus to treat him like Santa Claus, he's not going to have it. If we think he's the cosmic ATM, that if we just tag in Jesus' name at the end of the prayer and he's bound to do it, guess who's not doing it? He he knows our motives. And why we come to Jesus is important. And so, listen again. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs. Now, what were signs? Signs were there to evoke faith. If you were a truth seeker, and you were a person who knew the scriptures, the Old Testament, then you would know passages like in Isaiah when it says the the deaf hear and the blind will see, and you see these miracles happening that are in line with scripture, and you're like, hey, this is God, and it feeds the faith, and they're willing to see Jesus for who he is. But they didn't have that. They have seen miracle after miracle at this point. And he says, you're not here because you have faith and you see the signs. You're here, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. You're here because you got a full belly. 
He tells them, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. He tells them their motives are completely wrong. He says, you are not searching eternal truth. You are working for food that you're just going to get hungry again. Now, what does that show? That shows a heart that is completely taken over and is completely focused on this life and this life only. The needs of this life, the wants of this life, it is caught in the immediacy of the flesh. And that's it. You know, isn't if you know food that food that will spoil, food that perishes, an interesting thing, right? I mean, we all get hungry, and that hunger can drive us. I mean, every day, you know, we got to eat again. But it doesn't matter how much you eat, what's just going to happen again? You're just going to get hungry again. You're just going to get hungry, and he says. Get out of this cycle with your spiritual thinking. It's not just about the moment. And if you're working for something that is only going to need to be replaced within 24 hours, you're working for the wrong thing. You're looking for the wrong thing. And so he says, do not work for the food that perishes, for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, give to you. For on him God the Father set a seal. So he tells him, I will give you the things that are necessary. And you see, why we come to God, what we want, and what we're looking for all matter. If we come to God strictly to get physical needs met, then we're going to walk away disappointed. The truth will eventually drive us away from God. Now, if we are seeking truth and come to God with honest questions, God will meet us where we are and guide us into the truth and into faith. And we will find the answers we are seeking. Why? Because he told us, seek and you will find. Ask and it will be given to you. Knock and the door will be opened. He, he, he promises us this, that if we are seeking the truth in him with good motives, we're going to find it. Will it be easy? No. Is it going to change us? Yes. Do we like being changed? No. Is it going to challenge assumptions? Is it going to, yes, we're going to have this whole journey we're going to go through. But if we come to God to get something for ourselves with no regard for the truth as this crowd did, God will meet us where we are and guide us to the truth. And it's amazing how the same process is going to end differently with the second group. As he guides us to the truth, we're going to be offended and we're going to say, God failed me. And we're going to walk away from him, not getting, having gotten what we wanted, even though he still revealed the truth to us. You see, the difference is that one person's going to find what they're looking for, and the other's going to end up sorely disappointed because the truth is going to expose their selfishness, just as it does with the crowd here. And so in this case, we see a huge crowd of people, thousands of people coming to Jesus because they want the benefit of Jesus without actually believing in Jesus. And listen, there's a saying in Texas where I'm from, that dog won't hunt. We don't get the benefits of God without faith in God. He will not compromise who he is. He will not compromise the gospel. He will not compromise with sin. And he's not going to just give us what we want because we say, well, but you're God. You have the power to do that. He says, yeah, and I also have the wisdom not to because I'm not fueling your self-delusion. I won't do it. And so Jesus miraculously fed these people the day before and they want him to do it again. 
So despite the miracles, the teachings, the wisdom, and the spiritual power they had witnessed firsthand, they were focused on one thing, and that was more food because I'm hungry again. Now, could you imagine whatever sermon that he heard, whatever this, the truth that they heard before this that drew thousands of people out to hear it literally had no effect on them. Isn't it amazing how we can hear the truth and yet remain unaffected and completely focused on the flesh? And listen, none of us is immune to this. We have to examine our motives and say, why am I coming to Jesus? Is it just because I want the truth? Because we have to ask ourselves, why do I seek Jesus? Why do I seek Jesus? Do I want the full truth? Do I seek answers to life? Real answers. Because, listen, truth can be brutal at times. Who in here has ever learned a truth about themselves that you're like, I didn't want to know that? I really didn't want to. I could have gone the rest of my life and not known that about myself. And yet we follow God, and at some point the Holy Spirit says, this one's going to sting, but bear with me because I'm going to free you from it. I'm going to help you, but this moment, this is going to hurt. But I got you. You see, that's what the truth does. And so we have to ask ourselves, do we seek an easy life or a successful life and hope that Jesus will be the one to give it to us, or are we seeking Jesus for something other than Jesus himself? Because if we are, ultimately we will find ourselves falling away when things get difficult. Every time, and that's exactly what happened here. We're about to get it. They're going to start arguing. Jesus literally starts arguing with this crowd, and he just keeps giving them the truth, and he just keeps it over and over and over, and they just they refuse to budge. And so... Jesus himself told us this in the parable of the sower. In Matthew 13, 20 and 21, he says, As for what was sown, talking about seed being sown on on the ground and the word of God, he says, As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, that is faith. He's not seeking truth. He's not seeking God. He has no root of faithfulness in him. He just saw the benefit of what was being offered and thought, Yeah, I want that but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. You see, this is what happens when we want the benefit of God without faithfulness to God. And I've seen this multiple times in my life of people who are, man, they're in. They come in and they're like, oh, God is so good, and I found God, and my life makes so much sense now. And then at the first moment that something gets difficult, they're like, oh, you know, that's just not working out. Yeah, I tried God, he failed. It didn't it didn't didn't work out for me. And they leave. Jesus knew what he was talking about. We have to examine our motives all the time. When we go to God, am I willing to hear the brutal truth in this moment? Am I willing to stick it out even when it gets tough in this moment? When it's hard, do I still believe God is good just as much as I did when everything was awesome? Because guess what? God hadn't changed. There is no change in God. He can't change. Otherwise, he wouldn't be God. And so when times get tough, something in this world changed. Maybe I changed. Maybe people around me changed. Maybe everything changed, but God didn't change. 
And if he was the answer when things were good, he's still the answer when things are bad. And, and so we have to ask ourselves, what is my motivation? Because it matters. Because Jesus sees through it. He knows the instant we, we're coming to him in prayer, we're like, hey, I've prayed about this, and I've prayed about this, and I've prayed about this. And you know what? You can pray about it for all eternity. If it's with a bad motive, that prayer's not going anywhere. Now, the prayer in faith, God will never reject. The prayer in repentance, God will never reject. The prayer that is seeking honest truth, be what it may. Maybe it's good news. Maybe it feels bad in the moment. Whatever it is, he will never reject. But motivation matters. And so we have to ask ourselves, if motives matter, we have to ask ourselves, what is the goal, spirit or flesh? What is the goal of what I'm doing? Am I just trying to make myself feel better? Am I just trying to serve some kind of fleshly goal, worldly goal? Or am I searching a genuine spiritual truth that will last for all eternity? Because that's the great thing about truth is it's unchanging and will be unchanging for all eternity. You see, God isn't going to change his mind when we get to heaven and change everything. He's not going to change who he is. And so whatever we can learn that is truthful now will be true for all eternity. And so that's what we got to focus on. And so what we serve will determine the level of truth we are willing to hear. If we serve the flesh, then that means that the truth we're willing to hear will be only that which affects the flesh. If we're serving the spirit, then that means we are entering into the eternal realm and we will serve the truth that serves bigger purposes. Jesus begins sharing life-changing truth with the crowd. But the crowd is so focused on what they want, they can't hear the truth. They just ignore it over and over. He's already told them, hey, you need to quit searching. You need to quit working for food that's going to perish. He just told him that. He's like, you're not here for a good reason, and you're trying to get the wrong thing in life. Don't do that. Search for the right thing, and I will give you the right thing. And so, they're coming to Jesus for selfish reasons, not of faith, and so answers that require faith frustrate them. Let me tell you, here's an example. Verse 28, then they said to him, well, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to them, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? Wow, that's some nerve. He just fed 5,000 of them miraculously, more than five. He's been healing. That's what got their attention before was all the, the miracles before that. They know he like walked on water, did something weird because they're like, how did you even get over here? We only saw people leave in one boat and... They know. You see, the truth is right there in front of them. And yet, what are they saying? They're trying to manipulate Jesus into doing what they want. And this is, and I love that this is mob mentality. And I don't know why this happens, but for some reason, when human beings really become a mob like this, focused on something wrong, their collective IQ drops to about 12 And suddenly, the truth matters not at all. It's just completely rejected. And so they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? And then they get to their point. They reveal themselves 
trying to be spiritual while not being spiritual. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. See, they want more bread. So they're trying to be spiritual with their physical desires. Oh, God gave us manna. Could you do, can you do that? I challenge you. Give me some manna. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. They said, hey, we want, we want that. If I'm never going to be hungry again, I want that food. And he says, hey, I'm the bread. Just right here. Look at me. If you come to me, I'll give you life. Could Jesus be any more open with what he's teaching right here? It's not like he's hiding anything. He's already said, I came down from the Father. I'm the one that's going to, the Father set his seal on me. I will give you life if you come to me. I'm the bread of life. Yeah, there was manna, but there's something even greater that God has now given, and I'm right here in front of you. And so Jesus clearly reveals himself as the greatest gift the Father would ever give to mankind here. And the crowd argues with him and demands a sign. They're not ever going to meet up on this. You see, when we start serving the flesh, it blinds us. And we can feel completely justified in what we're asking from God and think we're right and, and think we're smart. And God sees right through it. And Jesus sees through this. And that's where he says, he goes, I know you don't believe me. I've told you the truth. But I know you don't believe me. And, and so... What Jesus reveals right here is literally one of the most important sections in the Gospel of John. He is the true manna. He is the life-giving sustenance given from heaven. Verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. What Jesus gives us is infinitely more important than one meal, a moment of success, a life of ease, money, or influence. Jesus is the bread of life that satisfies those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And can you just picture this in your mind as this herd of people is just out there and Jesus is like, I'm the bread of life. Hey, if you come to me, you won't be hungry anymore. I'm, the Father set his seal on I mean, he's just telling them the truth. He's just laying it out there. He's not speaking in code. He's straight telling them the truth. And they're getting angry about it. And so verse 41, listen. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? Hmm, they think they know. How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Hey, guess what? They're being taught by God right now. He's, he's literally just revealing this to them. 
Everyone has heard and learned from the Father. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Now, that is an important statement. When we have a genuine faith in God and we are truth-seeking and we have a faith that is legitimate in God, it will always guide us directly to Jesus Christ and nowhere else. Okay, that truth will always take us to Jesus. It's not going to take us to some health and wealth thing. It's not going to take us to some inner light. It's going to take us to Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection and the fact he's coming back again every time. It will always, God will always direct us to the Son and the Son will always direct us to the truth. Every time. And that's what Jesus is exposing right now in them is their lack of faith. And he's saying, look, you clearly have not, don't have a relationship with the Father because you're arguing with me. Don't miss this. You see, he says, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Verse 46, not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. Don't work for the food that perishes. Manna was a wonderful miracle, but it was just the foreshadow of what was to come in Christ. How do we know that? Because there was no eternal power in eating manna. You had to go gather it up every day. You could take as much as you wanted. You could get your fill of it. But the next day, you were hungry again and had to go get some more. With Jesus, you only have to be saved once. And it's enough. Jesus will forgive you, remake you, and what he gives us in the spirit and in new life is enough for all eternity. You will never hunger and thirst for righteousness again. And so he says, I am the bread of the life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Could he say it any clearer? You know, there are times when he taught people and they're like, we don't understand the parables. This isn't a parable. This is a confession. This is a manifesto. This is Jesus saying, look, you want to know who I am? And this is like thousands of people out here and he's telling them and he's like, you want to know who I am? I'm the one that came from the Father. I'm the one that will give you eternal life. I am the bread of life. I am the one that you should be looking for. And yet, it's offensive to them and they just grumble. They get angry. And grumbling at the truth is the surest sign of a lack of faith that we will ever have. If we get angry when God tells us the truth, guess whose problem it is? It's not his. It's ours. And I'll let you in on a secret. We're all there at some time. We all have grumbled at the truth at some time. We've all had difficulty with the truth at one time or another and probably will again. But we'll get to what that means and how we get through that later. 
Because spiritual truth will be offensive and foolish to those who are serving the flesh. It always will be. Always. They will never be able, somebody serving the flesh will never be able to accept the truth and benefit from the truth because they are stuck in one spot that is serving themselves. And they'll try to force God into that. And that's what we see happening in our country over and over right now is that we, we got people that are, that are in debt up to their eyeballs. They're, they're so busy they can't breathe straight. They, they, they work 80 hours a week and they just keep all of this stuff going all the time. And then they think, God, my life is terrible. Maybe if I add God to it, it'll get better. And so then they try to stay really busy with church and it's just one more thing to add and then the truth hits, and what does it tell him? He says, hey, you know what? Maybe you should downgrade your lifestyle a little bit so you get a little bit of margin, and you can breathe, and stop living beyond your means. And guess what? People are like, no, God's going to bless me, and I'm going to make more money, and I'll be able to handle all of this. And God says, well, we'll see. When you burn out, come back. And you see, we have to decide which are we going to hear. Are we going to hear the voice of truth that tells us, hey, slow down. Slow down. Make some room in my life, in your life for me. Make some room in your life for the things that matter and, and, and stop focusing on the wrong things. Or do we just keep thinking, well, if I just do more for God, he'll bless me and he'll make it all work out. You see, 1 Corinthians 1.18 gives us a truth that we have to hold on to. And it says, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. See, within this crowd right now, there are 11 disciples out of this 10,000 plus people who actually have faith. I said 11, not 12, because one of them also didn't have faith. And that would be Judas. Only 11. Now, were the 11 challenged by this? Oh, absolutely. They still didn't understand it at this point. But they had faith. And it got them through the difficult time. And they didn't have to have full understanding. They just had to trust Jesus. And, and there really does come a point where the intellect just isn't going to be enough. I don't care who you are. I don't care how smart you are. I don't care how many Bible verses you've memorized. God is going to mess with you at some level, at some point in your life that you're not going to understand. And you can quote as many Bible verses at it as you want. And you can throw all the cliches at it as you want. And you're still going to, at the end of the day, going, you know what, this doesn't make any sense to me. And you have to make a decision at that point. Do I trust God or not? Because difficult truths force decisions. God will force decisions in our lives. Who in here can testify to that? God will straight back you into a corner and say, now you've got to decide. He will. And if we have faith and we trust the gospel and, and we have faith in Jesus that is, that is true, we'll make the right decision. It may not feel like it in the moment. It may not even look like it works out to be the right decision in the moment. But in the long run, it will. Or, if we're serving the flesh, we'll be like the crowd. And the truth will become so unpalatable. 
the truth will become so offensive to us that we'll walk away from it and say, I, I, that makes no sense to me, and I can't be a part, I won't be a part of it. And we'll feel justified in it. And it's going to be one or the other. There is no middle ground here. There is no middle ground. Because after much disputing, Jesus finally throws down the gauntlet to the entitled masses. And they are entitled. This is, this is a, a mob mentality of people that, hey, they had a good meal the day before and they want another one and nothing's going to stop them. They're not hearing the truth. They're not willing to hear the truth. And so Jesus uses the truth as a weapon to drive them away. And he does. There's no other way to put this. He literally weaponizes the truth in that moment against people who don't have faith. And this is a difficult truth about Jesus that all of us have to stomach. Because as I read the Gospels, I see nowhere, nowhere that Jesus chases anyone and begs them to be a part of the kingdom. He doesn't do it. You know what he does? He loves them and he gives them the truth and he leaves it with them and lets them decide for themselves. And most people reject him. The vast majority of people reject him. Now there are those who believe and those moments of faith are amazing and they're recorded in scripture for a reason to give us the example of that, to show us what faith looks like. But Jesus is not desperate for people to join his kingdom. Jesus is not a people pleaser. And he doesn't chase people. He invites them. And the invitation is there for all. Whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And this is something we've got to get in mind again. And I think it's important for the church in our culture to get this in mind again. We've so, as a culture, church culture in America, we have so made an idol out of church attendance that we're willing to chase people to the ends of the earth and entertain them to whatever degree is necessary. And it's not his kingdom. Because we make it about people instead of about God. And that's what we get is the crowd here then who starts to demand more and more and more and, and give me what I want. And Jesus won't have that. Okay, listen to this, verse 52. It says, Then the Jews disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. Now, was Jesus offering up cannibalism in the first century? 
No. He's already said, don't work for food. This, this, this isn't about the flesh. And so think of it in terms of the greater truth. Think of in, in the, if we're going to get to the greatest truth that has been revealed to mankind, what is it? That the body and blood of Jesus are the means by which all will live. Jesus died on the cross for the sins of humanity, for the sins of mankind, was put in a tomb, raised again on the third day, and, and is seated at the right hand of the Father, and is coming again one day to judge the living and the dead. And what is it that's going to make a difference when that judgment happens is those who have their faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So in the larger sense of all of existence, what is the greatest food and drink we will ever have to bring us life the body and the blood of Jesus when he says my body is real food he's not mine he's saying this this supersedes what you understand of as food this isn't a meal this is the joining with my body and my blood that will bring you life for all eternity when we get to heaven God is not going to ask you what you ate for your last supper. He is going to ask you, did you believe in my son, Jesus Christ? So when Jesus says this, he's not trying to fool people. He's revealing the greatest truth that's out there. That ultimately the greatest thing we will ever do is partake of the body and blood of Jesus Christ and make it literally a part of ourselves through faith because his righteousness imputed to us, his forgiveness of sin imputed to us because of his sacrifice. And yet he says it in such a way that you better have some faith because in the first century, there were some weird stuff out there, okay? There, there was. You, you get out there into some of the Roman mystery religions and some of the other things that happened. Remember, this is in first century Israel, so they had the law of God and that stuff. But you get out into the Roman Empire, there was some weird stuff that happened. And I mean dark, okay? Dark and very weird. And so you were always going to be a little on edge at somebody teaching something new. You know, hey, what's coming here? Jesus knows this, and so he gives them the truth in such a way that if you're fleshly-minded... You're going to say, that's horrible, I'm leaving. If you're spiritually minded, you're going to say, that's difficult. That's, that's a hard one. You know why? Because Jesus hasn't died yet and been resurrected. So they really have no basis for understanding this. We get the benefit of looking back and understanding and having the Holy Spirit. They didn't have that. So faith in that moment is like, um, that's weird. That's hard. That requires more investigation. That's going to require some time. I hope he's not saying what I think he's saying. And I don't think he is because of the truth that I've seen everywhere else. But it would require some perseverance, some time. And so, listen to this. In verse 60, he says, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. 
The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there were some of you who but there are some of you who do not believe. Now I want to pause there. Jesus doesn't comfort them in this moment. And I love this. You see, Jesus just throws hard truth at us and he doesn't just make it easy. He says, Really? That's gonna trip you up? Oh, wait till you figure out who I really am. What about when you see the Son of Man ascend to heaven and, and you find out that you're talking to God? We're not ready for that discussion yet. You see, he lets them know this isn't going to get easier. It's going to get deeper. It's going to get more real. The, your reality is going to shift and change. And, and you, if you can't accept this, you're really going to have a problem as this keeps going. And he knows some people just simply do not believe. Verse 65, and he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. Verse 66, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Thousands of people just turned their back and said, never mind, I'm out. I thought there was something good here. I I must have been wrong. And they reject him. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Talk about being put on the spot. And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. That is an answer of faith. He didn't say it wasn't hard. He's also like, I don't understand this, but he does have a response of faith. And this is what happens when we get into difficult moments where the truth is hard. If we have faith, we will say the same thing. Where else am I going to go? There's nowhere else to go. There's nothing else out there. I know Jesus has the answer. And so right now it doesn't make sense, but I'm not leaving. Because you are the only one who can do this. That's it. That is the response of faith. And so I want to ask you, where do you stand? Jesus will bring us to the end of ourselves on this journey every time. Every one of us. We will come to the end of what rationally makes sense and where faith must begin. Now, it doesn't mean we check our brain at the door. It will always line up with the truth, always line up with Scripture. But I guarantee, even our understanding, there's going to come a moment where God's going to challenge things and our under, we're going to find out our understanding of Scripture was just off a little bit. And He's going to correct it. But guess what? It's going to be earth-shaking for us. It's gonna, we're going to say to ourselves, this is a difficult saying. Who can understand it? We're going to ask God at some point, God, I don't get it. What's going on? And he won't always make it easy in that moment. And he may just look and say, do you want to leave? And talk about a gut check in that moment. Do you want to leave? No, I don't want to leave. I just want it to make sense. He says, well, hang in there. Stay with me. Oh, I'm staying with you. But this makes no sense to me right now. And so wherever the truth leads you, we have to come to the same conclusion that Peter did when he said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Don't settle for anything less in your faith. Don't be like the crowd 
that is so upset, so offended by the truth that they walk away. If the truth offends you, lean into it to find out why. I guarantee there's a blessing waiting on the other side. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for this day, this time. And God, I pray that you would increase our faith. God, just like the, the father who said, if you are willing, and, he said, and you said, all things are willing for those who believe. And then the man said, Lord, I believe, help me in my unbelief. God, so many times I think that that's where we stand in life. Is we believe, but we need to believe more. God, increase our faith that we can see the, the good things that you are doing in life. That we can trust you even in the bad times. God, that we can trust you when it hurts, when it's hard. God, that we would be able to say, as Simon Peter did, where else, will she, well, where else where will we go? That we believe and have come to know that you are the Holy One. God, help us to say those words in true faith. God, it's in Jesus' holy name we pray together. Amen.